Hey, quick note before we get started in this episode, because it's slightly different. We're introducing a new series of quick-fire interviews. We know not everyone can spend the time on our long-form interviews going well over an hour, so we're going to add some shorter segments with our quick-fire format. This is where we ask each guest the same kind of questions, broken into two sections. First, their thoughts on major areas of the sport of squash, and then two other areas that we learn more about their life. I love this section because I never know what people are going to say, and I've learned so much about the guests and new ways to try and do things. So we're going to try and do more interviews based on this shorter format because we're always up for experiments and trying new things. We're already full steam ahead on prepping for 2021 and looking to do even more. Thank you for all your support we've been getting, and your emails mean the world to me and the rest of the team. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word about our sponsor. So, Lee, we want to thank you for being our first sponsor on Squash Radio. And just want to say, you've sponsored other avenues, but Squash is always where your heart's at. What does it mean to you to be sponsoring Squash? I think there's just a, a lot of interesting people in the sports. I've attended junior tournaments, I've been to professional tournaments, and you can always get into some engaging conversations. And I think Squash Radio is an avenue of bringing those people to the forefront. And I'm sure a lot of people would like to listen to them. And sponsoring this, we're just uh, facilitating that. I think you nailed it. Is there anything else you, you might want to add? But I think you, you nailed it. That is, <laughs> that's exactly what I think. Because <laughs> I'm in like with hope. I've met Hope so many times and I got into a little bit of conversation, but listening to that conversation you had with her, just, she's just a squash through and through person. And I don't know how many listeners you get, but it doesn't matter. It's the fact that people can now relate to Hope as this person. Hopefully they're going to do that with me. I'm sure, because I'm quite a private person, I'm not, I've never been a person who hung around the squash circle of people, but when I do, I've got some very good friends and they will probably know me, but there's a lot of people who saw me at junior tournaments and a lot of my juniors were top players in the country. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a great way of bringing some of the personalities from squash. That was Lee Witham, who is the CEO of Pro Sports LED, the sponsor of this podcast. You probably don't even think about lighting and neither did we until we started talking to Lee. And now we totally get the problem that Pro Sport LED is fixing. And we know maybe that's not you now or maybe not you ever. But if you know anyone who might be interested or need to improve their lighting for squash, tennis, soccer, you name it, it would mean a lot to us and our sponsor if you'd put us in touch. You can go to squashradio.com LED or email squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thank you again, and back to our show. What about this? This call is being recorded. I think those are profound words to leave hanging as we close out this section. I'm going to move into the quickfire section. And I was very excited recently, uh, inspired by one of the other guests we had coming on the show, where he's like, hey, can I talk about some squash subjects? And I was like, you know what, for a squash podcast, we probably should have a component of that. So we've now built this uh, quick fire into two sections of some questions about squash, but then also some more get to know you. So the first section, which I'll call the 90 second drill of quick fire with Janet, is where I'm going to say a topic within um, the sport of squash and love to get your 90 second thoughts on maybe one thing that you love about that area and also one area mm -hmm. that you love 
to see improved. So give a little bit of some of your opinions. So the first area, one that I know is close to your heart is uh, pro squash. Easy one. I would love to see more college grads, college squash players join the pro tour. I think it is, it's an extraordinary opportunity for growth. So I'd love to see a lot more kids, both men and women, turn pro. And anything about it, what do you love about professional squash? The level of intensity of how good these players are. Oh, my God, because they're doing it. This is their livelihood, right? So the amount of training that goes into being a ranked player on the tour is just massive, right? Because if that is how you are going to earn a living, you got to rock up every day and be ready. And just to say, I'm going to give it all I've got. And it's incredibly exciting to meet players. I sit on the board of the Professional Squats Association Foundation U.S., and I know a ton of the players. I've gotten to meet them, had the great privilege to meet a lot of players over the years. I, I can remember meeting Ali Farag when, when he was at one of his first invitationals. And I thought to myself, oh, my, oh, my. Oh, this young guy is going to rock the world of squash. And of course, yes, he is. So it's just been incredibly exciting to see a lot of these kids go from being very good junior players onto college and then turn pro. And some of them are really exceptional. I mean, Ali has sort of demonstrated that you can go to college and he went to Harvard, get a degree and then join the tour because then he turned number one. So I think it's sort of removed a layer of excuse of anyone not exploring your idea of potentially going from college into the pro ranks. But that actually segues 100%. nicely into college squash. So what is the maybe what's let's start with the area that you'd want to see improved? I would love to figure out a way some smart person needs to figure out a way how to create generate more fan support because it's such an exciting game. I mean, I think if more kids could spend an hour, you know, watching a match. I can remember being at Dartmouth or traveling on the road, going to other schools, and just the team aspect of college squash is incredible. It's just incredible. And it beats sitting outside a freezing Hanover winter watching a football game, right? So if the colleges could do more to encourage more fan support to get more people to come because it's so much fun to watch. And then what about an aspect of it that you love? I think you kind of touched on it. It is a very exciting, anything beyond that in terms of college well, squash? I, I, I mean, my fondest memory of college squash, again, I never missed a single one of Chris's matches. I did get to his Amherst match a little late because Meredith and I drove to the wrong Amherst squash center. We went to uh, UMass Amherst. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and not Amherst College. It is we confusing. A, it is yeah, confusing. Yeah, we got there a little late. We did get there. That was my one sadness, although I did make it. So technically, I made it to every single one of Chris's matches. I think the funniest part of my four years of being a squash parent was how loud I was. I was so obnoxious and loud. And Meredith started calling her brother Criffer when he was born because she couldn't pronounce Christopher, and that morphed into Criff. And so for his family, I cringe when I think about, I have to call my son Chris because that's, you know, his real grown-up name, but he is known <laughs> as Criff to his mother and his sister. 
And so we would be in the America's Mare made it to a lot of Chris's matches as well. And we would be screaming, you know, go Chris, go Chris. And he would look <laughs> up at me. And, oh my God. You know, that is, that is when that moment, if looks could kill, you know, that's, that's exactly what they were. <laughs> that, that was what they were referring to. It was so loud. So, but that is my absolute fondest memory of Chris's four years at Dartmouth. Well, I also think that goes in with what you want is you experience, I mean, that's what we would call fan support and you experience it because uh, you were giving it. And I totally agree. It really is just such a fun live product. There's ways that we, we need to improve in the sport for sure. Right. So next topic, again, something you're very familiar with, but now that you have more perspective because Criff is no longer competing at the junior squash level. <laughs> Don't say that. I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't let that one stick. I will, I will. Yeah. Junior squash. What would you want to see improved? I think we were so lucky. Again, I, geez, I just think we were so blessed because... We didn't, Chris was in his junior year in high school. We didn't have any plan. The whole thing of, well, you need to do well on your SATs or your ACT so you can go to college. And I would say to him, Chris, if you don't buckle down, if you don't do well, and actually he was quite a good student, you're going to end up in the local community college, which would not be a bad thing. But maybe, maybe you need to double down here just a tad, right? And so our whole approach to where he was going to go to college, I have to say, was completely half-assed because I certainly didn't know, I didn't understand, you know, what a, a student athletic index was. And I can actually, I'll share a funny story with you. Chris and I went down to Princeton to have a chat with Bob Callahan. Mm-hmm. So we sat down and we thought this was going to be lovely. He's obviously the Princeton coach. And so Chris said, he explained to Bob that he had beaten Clay Blackiston in a match. So clearly he was Princeton material, <laughs> right? He clearly, you know, he had beaten Clay in a match. And Clay at the time, I think, was a freshman at Princeton. And Bob looked at him and he said, Clay Blackiston got into Princeton on his academic academics attitude, yeah. I think he muttered something like, you idiot. <laughs> I mean, that was just the dumbest thing ever. I beat Clay Blackiston in a match, so therefore, I'm a shoe-in, right? And Bob made it very, very clear, well, uh, no. <laughs> no, you're not. And so we kind of, we got in the car and went home and said, well, golly, now what? And I think that it was just all luck, magic, happenstance, because there was no formula. There was no strategy that I can recall. It was, where will you be happy? Where do you want to go? Where do you like the kids? Where do you think you would be the happiest, both academically and athletically? And Dartmouth was just the right fit. I think the pressure that parents understandably put on kids today, I mean, Chris matriculated to Dartmouth in the year 2009. Here we are 11 years later. The competition to get into a top school is so fierce. It's so intense. I don't know that we would have survived that. I, we were just incredibly, incredibly lucky that it was so serendipitous and so fun. And then John Power, he retired as the head coach at Dartmouth and Hansi Veens took over. He was the assistant, and Chris got to play for Hansi all four years. Greatest, I mean, just, again, blessed. 
I would agree. I think navigating the junior world of squash, I mean, there are some very real challenges of a, I don't think it's very clear. And I know the CSA right now and U.S. squash is doing a much better job of, of trying to demystify what that looks like, because otherwise that causes anxiety almost unnecessarily. And so I think that's been a, a market improvement, but it's still, it's just competition has increased and fewer spots are available. Is there any one quick thing that you loved about junior squash? I think the sense of camaraderie and one of the first kids that Chris played as a junior in the under 11s was Todd Harity. And they were friendly rivals. They both matriculated to college in the same year. Chris never took a match off Todd the entire four years. They both played number one. Todd played number one for Princeton. Chris played number one for Dartmouth. I think one of my fondest memories is how many great friends Chris made with his fellow squash players, both men and women at Dartmouth, but then the other schools. There is this amazing bond that these kids have and that he and Todd have to this day. And I think they could remember the first time they battled it out in juniors at the age of nine or 10, like it was yesterday. And I am just so proud of both of them. They both turned pro when they graduated, and they've gotten to play together on Team USA. It just, yeah, just really pretty extraordinary. The next area is refereeing or officiating. What do you love about that? I think it teaches the kids, and I think this has gotten tough. I mean, I, I haven't attended a junior match in quite a while, but Boy, I'll tell you something. I always used to tell the kids that if they talk back, that I would wash their mouths out with soap, right? I said, you know, you really haven't lived until you chomped down on a bar of ivory soap, really. <laughs> and so we kind of put the fear of God into having respect for the referees. And you got to remember, at the college level, at the junior level, your opponents our teammates are the refs. And then when you get to the professional level, you better figure out in a hurry how to handle that pressure. I think yeah. there could be, there's room for improvement in terms of the skill set that refs need to possess in a game where the ball is moving that fast and you have to make very, you know, split second decisions. But it's really, in my humble opinion, up to the players to be able to have a level of comportment on the court. Yeah. Well said. I think, like you said, it's a very, it's a tough job being in that seat. And therefore, it's also what I like about the sport of squash is we as players often find ourselves in that same seat. So it's kind of like, how would we want to be treated? And, and when you're on court, kind of extend that same courtesy. Yeah. And I think one thing that I would just add to that is that the pressure that Chris put on himself as a junior was self-imposed, right? So whatever pressure he felt, Okay, or anxiety, or hoping that he would do well, otherwise known as win, right, was pressure that he put on himself. I think the amount of pressure that are on junior players today is exponentially greater. And so the likelihood that maybe you kind of lose it on the court, right, and talk back to a ref, or I hate to say it, slug your opponent, that's got to stop. But it, it's awfully hard to reverse a trend that is probably only going to get worse, which is that how you do, how you are ranked as a junior is going to very definitely impact where you end up going to college. Yeah. So the last question in this section is just open-ended in terms of 
desired future plans for the sport? Where do you see it? Where would you like to see it go? I would like to see more public facilities built like Manhattan Squash, I I think is awesome. I mean, they, they were really just getting up ahead of steam, you know, when the pandemic hit. I'd love to see more outdoor squash. Again, how many different ways can more young people experience this extraordinary game? Because I think, one, there are tremendous health advantages. So I think if there's any way to get more kids on the court to have the experience, the elation of playing this incredible game will be hugely additive to the sport. And I think that this is a very, very challenging trying time for the game of squash, certainly in this country, because it's played primarily indoors. And so, you know, everybody's hopes and dreams are pretty much on hold until the vaccine is made available to the masses. So again, I think this is really going to test the mettle of players at every level. And the only thing I have to add is it saddens me to no end that kids have missed their senior year. Someone like Andrew Douglas, who will not get to play his senior season at Penn because of the virus. And that has to be incredibly disappointing. And so I give these kids, all these kids, so much credit of trying to figure out how to deal with remote learning, missing their friends, not feeling like they're really a part of the college or academic community. I think it's incredibly, incredibly challenging. I share your concern for the future, uh, the immediate future of where squash is. And I am trying to be optimistic that we opportunities that we don't yet know will emerge from this. And I think Outdoor squash is one of those focal points that has been getting more attention recently. And I'm also semi-optimistic that I think we keep pinning our hopes and dreams on the Olympics. And I'd like to see that shift just more towards let's improve our experience and exposure to squash for others. And the byproduct might be is that we get in the Olympics. I think it's let's create a strong, healthy sport that we all love and, and aim for that. Absolutely. How we get there, you know, this are challenge our challenges, but I think we need to come yes. together more behind a shared vision. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So the last section of this is the quick fire, but the random questions. If they go nowhere, no worries. That's on me and the question I was asking. But uh, <laughs> start off with a simple one is do you have a favorite movie and or documentary? Oh boy. Documentary. Yeah. My favorite documentary is Touching the Void about hmm. two climbers who attempted to climb a very, very challenging mountain in South America. <laughs> I've watched it about a hundred times. Really? Uh, because, yeah, one of the two mountaineers had to make the decision to cut his partner loose had, uh, because he had gone over the side. And oh my gosh. so he was, they were both going to be pulled off. So he had to cut the rope. And boom, so Joe went down into this crevasse and Simon made it down to the mountain, but with tremendous guilt that he had sent his climbing partner to his death. And somehow Joe managed with a broken leg to get out of this crevasse. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I shouldn't give away the ending, but <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's, that's my favorite. My other two favorites more recently would be Kobe Bryant's documentary. And the last dance, mm -hmm. you know, about the Chicago Bulls. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a sucker, right, for 
you know, the whole concept of, you know, how do you put together a winning team and yeah. and the champion season and all that. So Well, and it also illustrated the adversity that they all faced when they were on the same page. Despite that adversity, they were able to channel their energy towards being a championship team and against yeah. so many external odds. Yeah, it was yeah. so well done. Next question is, what gets you fired up? And this could either be in squash ward or outside of it and either negative or positive. What gets you fired up? Uh, really, uh, so I'm kind of a glasses entirely full kind of gal. So what gets me fired up is talking to my kids about ideas. So if, if mm. Chris wants to bounce an idea off me that he has for Raya, whether it's around product innovation, marketing, capital raising, whatever, uh, believe me, I have an opinion. That <laughs> fires me up. Helping Mayor figure out how to navigate different partnerships and collaborations, that gets me fired up. So I'm very, very lucky because I'd be in a tough spot if my kids didn't enjoy talking to me. I, I, I'd be 0 for 2. So I'm very lucky in that regard. Yeah, that is special. The next question is, what is something or an activity that brings you tremendous amount of happiness? And the one caveat I'll give here is, you know, I think family and friends and pets kind of, they just naturally bring us a ton of happiness. So think more of an activity or, or an actual physical thing that you do that brings you disproportionate happiness. Discovering my love for walking, meaningful walking. So I walk a couple of miles a day and I find the toughest hills in my town to walk up. And in the nicer weather, particularly when I'm on Nantucket, I ride my bike 20, 25 miles a day, which is because we have these incredible bike trails on Nantucket. And all these, those are two things that I do alone. Usually I have my headphones on, usually listening to a book on Audible. I find the solitude around physical activity, pushing myself and doing it for hours mm -hmm. to be probably the best thing that I can do for myself, both mentally and physically. I think the physical element sort of we could all understand and relate to, but the mentally, is there a mindset that you try and put yourself in when you're walking or are you trying to let go? Like, what are you doing when you're walking for your mind? Well, so what, what's so incredible, it's such a wonderful, wonderful question because so you've got to be walking at a brisk enough pace or riding your bike with purpose, right? To kick your endorphins into gear. And so it's that not the runner's high, the biker's high, the walker's high, right? That mm -hmm. kicks in probably about a half hour into my bike ride or my walking. And that's a lifesaver for me because it is probably the single thing that affects my outlook. And it's something that I absolutely need to do every single day to stay positive. There's a, there are a lot of things to be really bummed out about right <laughs> yeah. now or less hopeful about, or perhaps I'm not so optimistic about. So it's something that I do. It's, it, it's like a religion for me. It's a way that I push myself literally and figuratively. It's something that I do not kind of as an extracurricular. I, it has to be a core part of my day because it very definitely is the single most important way for me to be positive. That makes total sense. But quick question then, we live in cold climates. How do you do walking in this cold weather? 
Well, I was out there this morning and it was so important. I said, okay, well, I have an hour and a half, two hours before we were going to jump on this call. And it's that rigor, right? It's the discipline. It's the push yourself mentality that impacts everything I do for the rest of the day. It's kind of like get up, get off your couch, right? Put your coat on, put your sneakers on and get out there. And so I basically am kind of have this training mentality all the time. It, it really, it's a lifesaver. Yeah. Next question is, are you familiar with TED Talks? Yes. So the scenario I'm going to give you is that you're going to be giving a TED Talk. However, the caveat is it can't be something that you're widely known for. And so it could be either something that you're curious about going to explore and then share or something that you've always done, but not many people would know that publicly. So what would be your TED Talk? Boy, you know, that, again, another great question. I think it would be my profound love of nature. And nature is kind of, uh, you know, nature, the outdoors, of being very present. When I'm walking, maybe I'm very intensely listening to a podcast or a book or something, but I am intensely aware of my surroundings. And I would say that 99.99% of the people on this planet are very unaware of how much the environment and this sort of natural beauty of the world. And you could say, well, what's beautiful about where you live? Well, some things are, a lot of things aren't, right? But it really depends on what it is that you choose to see. And I am so lucky to have grown up in the Northeast, to experience the four seasons. Now that I am ancient, I would sure love to be in warm weather more than cold weather, but it is something that has always profoundly amazed me about just the beauty of the world that we live in. And if it's not what you're looking at, well, then you can look up. And it is my love of photography and then what is it that I'm looking at through the lens of that camera, right? And for me, whether it's a sunrise or a sunset or looking at the ocean or where I live, I get to look out onto the Hudson River. It has a, an extraordinarily calming effect on me, but I'm also just profoundly, I have this profound sense of gratitude that I get to experience any of this, which kind of translates into feeling incredibly lucky to be alive. Yeah. If you had to pick sunset or sunshine. Definitely a sunset kind of gal. I take a lot of sunset pictures, some better than others. You know, usually just with my iPhone, I just delight in seeing the colors over the Palisades. Just does it for me. And I think <laughs> that I've been so happy because that is something that the kids have also, Mary and Chris have both experienced throughout their lives. It is a sense of there by the grace of God go I get to be surrounded by trees or look at the ocean, right? Or walk on a sandy beach or go into the woods or a forest and experience nature. I, I think there is just this profound sense of gratitude, and it is something that my kids, both of them, share. And I think if somebody said, well, what, what are you the proudest of? That would probably be it. Makes sense. Total sense. So th the last question I have, and this has been an absolute pleasure, but the last question we're going to leave Thank it you. on is, 
if you could recommend, or maybe there's something that you've gifted, either a book or a podcast, take your pick. But is there anything that you recommend to people to uh, read and or listen to? Gosh, I have to say, this is so cheesy. This is so incredibly cheesy, but we wrote a book in 2006, appropriately titled More Than 85 Broads. And it is the story, the stories of 95 women in the network. And the chapters were divided up as parents, givers, ambassadors, trailblazers, survivors. That's how we kind of divided uh, and then figured out who we wanted to have tell their story. And the stories are really, really, really remarkable. I wrote the introduction to each one of those chapters, and I go back and I read those stories to go back and remember what other people have experienced. And again, the great highs that people had through success or the challenges. And two of the gals in the survivors section of the book didn't. They didn't survive. And so I go back and I, I think about how incredibly alive and amazing both of these two gals were. And I'm just grateful to have had these women, all of these women, in my life because they, I just found that being part of a community and being able to invest in what I loved. And, you know, what I loved was investing in other women. And I, I did that for many, many years. And the return on that investment, when I say invest in women, it was just actually saying pretty much as cheesy as it sounds, you go, girl, you've got this, right? And so you think that that's really reserved for the world of sports. No, it is for anything. It is for anything that you try to do in life. Can you be on the sidelines? Can you encourage somebody, right? Does it make a difference? It's a question that I'm sure people ask throughout their lives. And I will tell you resoundingly, it is possibly one of the, other than my two kids, it is probably the single greatest achievement of my life, which is absolutely to cheer women on to go and do great things with their lives and to be real trailblazers and then to go out and inspire others. I think your recommendation couldn't be more fitting because I think what you said of investing in other people, and I think you do that with your, your gift of words and your gift of time, which both I've been uh, a recipient of today and hopefully others will get to enjoy. And to recall some of the words that you've shared with us today is uh, resilience, grit, collaborate, diplomacy, partnership, problem solving, gratitude, positivity being aware of your surroundings, finding the right fit, moving with purpose. But I think some of the closing ones that I would say really is, is creating value, but return on happiness being where you can aim. And I just really want to thank you for your time today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I love this. I love this, Connor. So thank you. You made my day, really made my day. Well, and uh, I've, I said it before, but I'll say it again. You know, you really, I, I don't know Meredith as well, but I can certainly tell by the young, wonderful young man that you've raised with Chris. I mean, it really is 
embody so many of the great things of who you are and he does in his own way too which i think is important but really you've succeeded continually in that regard so thank you again thank you thanks guys that wraps our quick fire breakout segment if you want to hear full-length episodes you can go to squash radio using your preferred podcast listening method We love hearing from you, what you like, what you don't like, suggestions on what you might want to hear on this channel, or recommend a story or person to be interviewed. You can reach out on any of the social media platforms or email us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thanks again, and until next time.